I uh, just want to remind you, as we uh, go through this text again, that uh, what I'm going to say today um, is built upon the, the gospel principles for sanctification that you find in your orders of worship. Um, as my, one of my professors said, you can't say everything anytime you say, or every time you say anything. So I can't repeat all of that, or we'd have like two-hour sermons, and I know no one wants that. Uh, particularly my wife, who wants to get kids home and, feed, and fed. Um, Colossians 3, verses 5 through 11 this morning. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked, when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these people. Most of them know Christ, but there's a possibility that some do not. I ask that you would reveal to us the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. Because we need to be filled with the knowledge of Christ's salvation, that those who don't know it could come to share in it. But we also need to be filled with the knowledge of your will. We need wisdom and understanding from your Spirit as we look at this passage. Use it to teach us to walk in a manner worthy of you to walk in a way that pleases you and bears fruit. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, your beloved Son and the Savior of sinners. Amen. My wife hadn't spent much time with my family prior to us getting married. That was largely a function of the fact that, you know, I lived in Florida, Amy lived in New Jersey, my parents lived in New England. Actually, at that point, my parents we're still in California, but my brothers were in New Jersey. So, you know, we, we had lunch with my parents and her parents the day before we got married, or the day it was, it all gets a blur to me anyway. So it was the first time that we had gone to visit my parents, that my wife really finally got a glimpse of them as they really are. We had traveled uh, through Vermont and uh, over to New England and... Uh, I had thought I would pick up a nice big growler of uh, craft beer to share with my family. So we get there, and of course that has to get put in the refrigerator. And and so it began. The tone of the voice getting higher, indicating the frustration level with one another taking place. And And the, you know, the, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Help me here. Why don't you do this? And I turn to Amy and I go, I'm sorry. I forgot to tell you that my parents are the Costanzas. 
that that was basically their operating procedure. That was standard for them, sort of this low level of anger permeating the house. And that's how I grew up. This low level, constant level sort of anger in the family that would occasionally erupt a little bit, particularly with my mother, not my dad so much. Um, No, there wasn't verbal abuse. No, there wasn't physical abuse. Just this anger thing. Some of you may have grown up in a similar sort of situation, and, and you find that you are, generally speaking, an angry person. Okay? That was me. That's what I knew. That's how I lived. That seemed normal in a lot of ways. I take solace in the fact that in commenting about John Calvin, the great reformer, someone mentioned that in his early years he was a hothead. God changed him. David Paulson notes, Thanks be to God. The Bible is also about the gospel that forgives and changes angry people. And so while I am no longer like my family, Amy often goes, that's why I love going back and seeing my family. Amy goes, how far Steve has come. (laughs) But I have not yet arrived. Like you, all of us are in process with these things. And that is why Paul has to write this to the Colossian church. The big idea this morning is that Jesus transforms our anger from destructive to constructive. We're going to work through that. We're going to take a different pattern than we have the last couple of weeks. And I want to start off with the premise that anger threatens every relationship that you have. We're moving from the very first vice list, which is connected with the put-to-death stuff, and now we've moved into the second vice uh, list, which has to do more with get rid of these things, that idea we talked about of changing clothing, removing the clothing associated or the practices associated with the old man and putting on the practices associated with the new man because, in fact, you have taken off the old man in Christ and put on Christ. Okay? These are different kinds of sins. And one way in which we see they're different is not just in the remedy or the sanctification aspect of it, but also at the very end of the passage where Paul notes that Christ is all and in all. These are things that more profoundly destroy the community of believers. In other words, what they do is they destroy the relationships within the church They break the peace of the church in a way that's different from covetousness and sexual immorality. And so Paul wants to be very careful about these things. He had the same worry about Corinth. He writes in 2 Corinthians 12, For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, but that that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, Jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. He was, he was worried that these same kinds of sins that are in the second vice list would be prevalent among the Corinthians and would be ripping them to pieces. That as he said to the Galatians, they would be devouring one another. So, 
let's look at some of these that are connected to anger. The first is very simple. Anger. <laughs> or gay. That word sounds familiar, but in a very different context, doesn't it? It has to do with passion. Here it seems to be used for a, a settled attitude of anger or indignation. It's not about the, the, the feeling of anger so much as a state of anger that is going on. Similar to kind of, well, you know, this is anger simmering. This is like it was in the house I grew up in. You know, occasionally the lid would come off the pot, but usually it's generally speaking, it's, it's simmering. You know, it's, it's different than what I experienced this week. This week <clears throat> on Facebook, uh, one of my likes is uh, the Christian uh, Counseling and Education Foundation, CCEF. And so they have all these quotes that come up, and I'm like, you know, usually they're very encouraging. And there were a lot of encouraging quotes. They were apparently going through a series uh, by David Paulson on anger. And there were so many good quotes. But by the end of the week, I'm like, stop giving me quotes. I have too many for my sermon. I have too many for my outline. Okay? That's, not, that's not a settled sort of thing. That's just sort of a, a mild response of irritation to something. Okay? This anger that he's talking about is more the settled sense of uh, anger indignation. And one of the dangerous things about this settled sense of anger and indignation is that anger distorts your perception of reality. It's, it's sort of like looking through one of those uh, glasses that's not smooth but has dents and wrinkles in it and everything kind of takes on a funny shape. It's like looking through uh, marred sunglasses, perhaps. You don't get an accurate, accurate picture of reality. It, it hinders you, therefore, to make wise choices. Precisely because you don't have an accurate picture of reality, your decisions are not suitable for reality. It warps your perspective and therefore corrupts your choices. That's one of the dangers of anger. Anger also basically creates distance between people. It slowly eats away at relationships like a cancer. Um, really, if you're mad at someone, do you want to hang out with them? Is that what you do? Who should I spend time with this weekend? I'll call the guy who's mad at me. Or I'll call the guy that I really can't stand to be with today. That's not what you do. Anger tends to create distance within a relationship unless it's dealt with properly. This anger, this settled sense of anger can give way or give birth to grudges as we tend to nurse and rehearse the reason for our grievance against that person. We play it over and over again in our minds, you know, looking at it from different angles. And instead of usually finding a way in which we're wrong and need to repent and go ask their forgiveness, what we usually do is build more ammunition with which to shoot them with the next time. And so the anger tends to grow within us as opposed to being dissipated by the gospel as we nurse and rehearse. And so we go into this pattern, this place of bitterness. We begin to avoid these people. In my sermon on this topic in, uh, in Ephesians years ago, it was called Let It Go, Bob. Little family joke that we have, because Bob is my father-in-law, and that's often what we would say to him, because he would get like a dog with a bone on certain things. We'd have to go, let it go, Bob. 
We need to learn to let it go, but we'll get to that later. The second word that he uses is wrath. Thymos has to do similar to, again, it's passion, it's wrath, it's rage. This is not anger simmering, this is anger boiling over. Okay? This is turbulent. This is anger breaking loose. This is the explosion. This is the hissy fit, the conniption. Okay? It's anger out of control. Not only would you perhaps have a tantrum, but often what happens is you get historical. You're both hysterical and historical. Because you begin to bring up all the old, old grievances, you know. You always do this. You never do that. You begin to bring up the past in a very unhealthy way as ammunition against the other person. And what happens when people do that? They move apart from each other, not closer to one another. It's destructive. You become increasingly irrational in those moments. Third word he uses is malice. It's a basic sort of word. It's connected to the word evil, and it has kind of to do with essentially wickedness or moral inferiority, but it includes here in this context a desire to harm others. And usually when you, when you have malice in your heart, again, remember, this anger will cloud your perception. And so if, if you have anger in your heart, this kind of malice toward a particular person, what you tend to do is see everything they do in a negative light. Have, have you, anyone ever done that to you? You do something that you think is pretty good, you know, you had good motives, and here they are questioning what you did. And they're attacking you for something, and you're like, what in the world just happened? They probably have malice in their heart, and it colors everything that they see about you. And so malice is very dangerous because it begins to more actively seek to harm other people, whether verbally, whether physically. It seeks, in a sense, their destruction. It's characterized by that phrase that has been on so many t-shirts through the years, I don't get mad, I get even. I will confess to you that my wife and I watch Downton Abbey. I got sucked in. One of the characters is a maid named O'Brien, and she is a person I would see as characterized by malice. She's always scheming and plotting. And one of the, the storylines in this is that the Lady Crawley knows that someone else needs a maid, and so she takes the initiative out of the kindness of her heart to kind of to place an ad to find a maid, not for herself, but this other woman. Well, O'Brien, her maid, reads about this and thinks that she is going to be replaced. Never talks to the lady. Nurses and rehearses. She's growing in a seething, hidden anger towards the woman that she serves. And so one night, while the lady is in her bath, she uses her foot to subtly move the soap so that it is not under the tub but it will become under the lady's feet so that she will slip and she will fall. And what she does not realize is that the lady is carrying a child. The destructive power of malice 
perfectly illustrated. It threatens every relationship. And this is precisely why the Proverbs warn us so often about anger, because it ruins friendships. It can destroy marriages. It can alienate families from one another, even the extended family and the nuclear family. It destroys churches. All of these relationships are vulnerable to anger in its destructive power. So that's why, say, Proverbs 14, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Chapter 15, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. 22, make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go to a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Some of you were like me, perhaps, and you grew up with angry parents. You learned their ways. You were entangled in their snares. That was part of you as the old man, and that needs to change. And so, We could say with Paul that we walked in anger. We walked in wrath and malice. But God changes all of that in the gospel, and let's see how. The first part of that is that as a new person, Jesus changes the source of our anger, or the why we're angry. Because we're a new person in Christ, He is at work in us by virtue of His our union with Him to begin to change the source or the why of our anger. I said that anger, these sins were different than the immorality and covetousness. And as I was taking a walk on Friday morning, it kind of the the you know sometimes the coin drops. And you go, ah, why didn't I see that before? Well, the coin dropped. Immorality and covetousness are failures to trust God to satisfy us. They are ultimately uh, us seeking our our satisfaction apart from God and in violation uh, of his will. Anger is different. Anger is our emotional response to God because we think he has not done that which he should have done. It may, we may not think we're mad at God. We may think we're mad at someone who has failed us, but ultimately we're mad at God because we believe he's in control and he has worked against us. He has, from our perspective, harmed us. He has, you know, done us wrong. I remember one day years ago living in Florida. It was, it was my, we had, I had no kids yet. So it was like, day off, I'm going to a movie. But you know what happened? I was running late. And you know, I caught every single red light. You know, that's just what happens, right? Whenever you're running, you're late on time, that's when all the red lights show up. And I'm at the last red light, you know, and I can't turn because it's a left, not a right. And I'm just like, just one green, please, one green light, why? I was mad at God because he's intruding upon my sense of my comfort and my security. The world wasn't turning out the way I wanted it to. That's a very selfish source of anger. 
That's why they call it unrighteous anger. Okay? It was unrighteous anger that day in the car. Our anger is often in response to our agenda, our goals, our values, or desires being violated. Our anger often is about us. It's not about God. And Jesus begins to change that. Anger, generally speaking, is a sign that a boundary has been crossed, that someone has done something that they shouldn't do. And so what happens is Jesus begins to reset the system. Okay? Uh, for instance, this happens all the time in the annex in the summer. Okay? We've got the motion sensors in there. And what Steve and I both love is when a spider moves around. You know? That's not motion. That's not someone breaking in. And, and so what happens is our sense of anger is, is, is really sort of like the sensor going off for the wrong reason. Okay? Jesus is going to reset the system so that more and more you will get angry for the right reasons and not the spider who just happens to go past the motion sensor. You know, the thieves, those are the ones that your system is supposed to go off on, okay? So anger is a sign that a boundary has been crossed. It's sense the alarm system of your soul. Exodus 34 talks about God himself. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Gee, do you wonder why all those Proverbs talk about the man who is slow to anger? Because then they are like God. They're reflecting his character and his glory. God wants to reset us so that we're not hot to be angry. We're not quick to be angry, but we become slow to be angry. Because we see that God is angry at things. Right here in Colossians, Paul Paul says that it's because of these things that the wrath of God is coming. And what's interesting, and and this is when I go to the, I want to talk to the translators in the editorial committee who put together Bibles, because the word that is used here is translated anger, not wrath, in the section that follows. When it lists the sins, you know, anger, wrath, malice, it's the word for, that's translated anger here, but some reason it's wrath over here. I don't understand that. Okay? So it's not God's turbulent, explosive anger that is being discussed here. It is more the reality of that God hates sin. That's the point. And one day God will judge sin. God gets angry over sin. That means, and we see this Jesus as well, during his earthly ministry, he would be angry at times. He would be angry at hypocrisy. He would be angry at the the oppression of the poor and the helpless by the elite. He would be angry about those things. And Jesus never sinned. God does not sin. And so, therefore, we must believe that anger in and of itself is not sinful. Okay? We don't have to agree with Yoda as he counsels with Luke Skywalker in in, the... why the thing just the empire strikes back that's the movie okay you know fear leads to hatred which leads to the dark side of the force and and the there talks about how following your emotions leads into the dark side okay that's that's uh, george lucas being influenced by buddhism right there 
Okay? Therefore, you have to be super rational, Luke. No. Anger itself is not sinful. It depends on why you're angry and what you do with that anger. Otherwise, God would be sinful when he's angry. So, what does God get angry over? As I said, he gets angry over sin precisely because sin attacks his glory and also sin threatens his people. It is the response of love when one that you, when the beloved is being threatened. Anger is not about hate. Anger is really about love. And so the people who talk about the wrathful God, what they want is a God that doesn't love anybody. Because the God who loves his people is angry when someone tries to hurt his people. Those of you who, who are or have been parents in the past, don't you get mad when someone tries to hurt your kid? That's love. That's a good thing. It, it moves you to protect. And that's what it does with God. It moves Him to protect His people because He loves His people. And so our anger is supposed to be a manifestation of our love for other people against those things that seek to harm them. That's godly anger. God is angry at our unrighteous, misplaced anger because that threatens us. But that anger was born by the Son He loved. And so we have to remember always that our unrighteous anger, the guilt and the condemnation that is due to them, was born by Jesus Himself upon the cross. But we can't just stop there. We have to continue into the reality that Christ, who worked for us on the cross, is now working in us by the Holy Spirit to shift that source of our anger so that it begins to increasingly reflect His anger. And so we're going to move away from our self-centered anger and more to a God-centered anger. But how do we know that that's taking place? Tim Keller mentions that all of our emotions, not just anger, need to be brought before God in prayer. And I think that's part of, of what we do. We, we have to, when we're angry, we have to start to go to God and say, why am I angry? I know why I think I'm angry, but why am I angry? Is this a sinful anger? Is this a self-centered anger? Help me to understand why I want to hurt somebody or I don't want to be with somebody. Help me to understand. Begin to pray about our emotions in the presence of God. And so, united to Christ, you are a new person and the, the reason for your anger changes. Let's move to the third part of this. As a new person, Jesus changes what we do with our anger. So He changes why we're angry, but he also begins to change what we do with our anger. Godly anger, as I said, is intended to motivate us to address sin, but we need to change how we do that. Remember, we have to put away, as Paul says here, put them all away, put away the sinful responses to your anger. Put away your wrath, Put away your malice. 
knowing that they destroy the body of Christ, and begin to deal with your anger in a godly way. We've already, as I said before, we have already put off the old man, as Paul talks about in this passage. We have put on the new man, Christ, and it is time to begin to put off the old practices and to begin to put on the new practices. And Paul has that same term, excuse me, that same terminology in the, in the passage from Ephesians 4 that Dick read for us this morning. But I want to just hit one thing, one part of it that's, that is essentially stolen from Psalm 4, which Dick also read for us this morning. Be angry and do not sin. If sin is essentially sin, uh, sorry, anger is essentially sinful, the scriptures would never tell you to be angry. In other words, John Chrysostom explains this. I think, well, he who is angry without cause sins. He who is not angry when there is cause sins. There is a time when you are angry when you shouldn't be, and you're sinning. There is a time when you should be angry, but you're not, and you're sinning. And that has to do with sin itself. What are you mad about? There are things that you should be mad about that you perhaps you're not. And so Paul says, quoting David, be angry. There are times we must, but we must not sin as we express that anger. So you have both of those things going on in the Scriptures. Paul continues to talk about this in terms of, um, you know, uh, Don't let it go past nighttime. You don't want to give the devil a foothold precisely because anger, as it clouds our judgment, it does give the devil a foothold to tempt us. And so one of the ways in which I've sort of had to to deal with this, you know, um, was waiting. When I got that email that just torqued me off, Stepping back, not responding, not not in being in my anger, going, yeah, I'll show that guy, and typing out something and hitting the send button, but waiting overnight so that I'm more rational. I've perhaps hopefully prayed about it, <laughs> okay? So that I'm not just putting more fuel on the fire, and sometimes we just respond too quickly with things because we've given the devil a foothold with our anger, a way for him to tempt us to sinfully express the anger that even maybe perhaps we should even rightly feel. We have to slow down. We have to stop responding destructively. We, we need to start praying, but also we need to start communicating. I forgot to mention this uh, earlier, but you have a little diagram there where I have, you know, in the old man, what you're either doing is exploding or imploding. Okay, what that means is when you explode, you go off on everybody, on somebody. You know, let's let's pretend for a moment I'm mad at Topher and I just yell at him or I slap him or something like that's exploding. Just it all comes out. <laughs> imploding is you you keep it all inside. Okay? But what happens is you implode. 
Okay, when they take down a building, they don't explode it. Okay, you don't want the building flying all over the place and harming other people like the NASCAR crash did. Okay, what they want to do is set off the bomb so that it comes in upon itself. It implodes. And that's what you do. The person who stuffs their anger tends to implode, come down upon themselves. Health reasons, if you stuff your anger, or, or if you're a rageaholic like George Costanza, you, you, you have health problems. Okay? Depression is often a sign of anger turned inward. You're mad at you. It destroys people. That's not a good way to deal with it. And so with the gospel, we're not exploding, we're not imploding, we're beginning to communicate. Okay? Someone does something wrong to you. There's two ways you can deal with it. You can deal with it in a way that pushes them farther apart. Or you can deal with them in a way that invites them in. Okay? Now, occasionally you have to stop them <laughs> from doing what they're doing before you can actually deal with the problem. And, and sometimes you have to be loud and aggressive to do that, to get them to stop what they're doing so that you begin to, to deal with the real problem. Um, you know, you don't want to be parenting. My wife and I would love to be able to gently instruct our children all the time, right? But sometimes they don't permit us, and so we have to get loud. I hate getting loud, but we have to stop them. Then we can instruct them. So anyway, perhaps someone has let you down, and and you can go one of two ways. You can punish that person for letting you down, which means that you're acting on your anger in an unhealthy way. You're, You're taking a damaged relationship and making it worse. Or you can go to that person humbly and you can say, you know, that, that really hurt me. Can we talk about this? Because I want us to be right. Right now we're not, but that's what I want. That's a constructive way. Uh, your, your anger is, is getting you to move closer to that person for restoration as opposed to moving closer to hurt the person and ultimately moving them farther apart. Okay. That's constructive. It addresses the problem with an invitation to repent and to change. And the only way that that ultimately happens is if we slow down in our anger. That's why one of the verses I memorized was James 1. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I knew I needed to know that. One, I need to be slow to anger like God is slow to anger. And two, the danger of my anger not necessarily producing the righteousness that God wants. And there are times when I feel it rising where I have to remember that verse. Back it down, Steve. Slow down. Perhaps you need to memorize some of these scriptures that you might bring them to memory when in those moments when you need them most. Back to parenting for a second. 
Anger should move us to address the sin of the child. Had one of those moments yesterday. Didn't like all the ways in which I handled it. I had to walk away from it and come back to it. So did the child. But we were able to sit down and talk about what was going on. What I saw going on in, in their heart. And my goal was, the goal is never to harm the child, to destroy the child, so to speak, but to destroy the sin of the child. Parenting is largely warfare. Going to war against the sin of your children. And going to war against your sin, too. That's what has to happen. Not only that, but bigger picture, we're going to talk about this in more depth in weeks to come after Resurrection Day, but we need to return to the cross. Because it is precisely at the cross that we see how God bears with our sin that we might learn how to bear with the sin of others. We remember how we have been forgiven that we might forgive others. That's an important part of maintaining any relationship, particularly marriage. Why do marriages fall apart? Mostly it's because of unresolved anger. There's no forgiveness that takes place. And so the heart gets hard and the distance grows. Why do people leave churches? Sometimes it's because anger. They're not forgiving anybody and they get embittered and they move on to bring their bitterness somewhere else. That's not the time. That's not every time someone changes churches, but I've seen enough of it. We need to remember from Proverbs, a slow answer turns away wrath. That's another one that's sort of in my head. Uh, Sorry, a soft answer turns away wrath. As well, Proverbs 19, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. You don't need to talk about everything that makes you mad with the other person. There's a lot of stuff you just, it's at the foot of the cross, I'm moving on. This way, this is how we keep accounts short so that grudges don't grow. They don't settle in and have the flowers that we don't want so that malice doesn't begin to grow. We put them aside. Because we have a new identity, because we've been to the foot of the cross, because we're being remade in the likeness of God, as Paul talks about here as well, being renewed in the image of its creator. That's slow to anger. So the past, your past, is not a prison that determines your future. Some people think it is. Not only does Christ bear the guilt of our unrighteous anger for us, but because we're united to him by faith, he works in us to change us significantly through the power of the Holy Spirit. He changes why we get angry and what we do with that anger when we have it. 
He wants to make us more and more like Him, slow to anger and righteous in anger. And so, as I think about my own life, because that's the one I know best, He has changed me significantly. And a lot of that has been within the context of marriage and parenting. Because I can't run away from those people. And so I, you know, and they do things, and I do things. And there's anger, and we have to learn redemptively how to deal with that. So a lot of the change that's taken place in me has been within those refining fires of the family. And it probably is for you, too. But I must still change significantly. None of us has arrived. And so, here's the question. Are you submitting to the process? Do you see that, that these situations are not accidental, but are from the hand of God to reveal perhaps your idolatry and your sinful wrath and move you out of your idolatry and into righteous anger? Are you submitting to that? Or are you fighting God on it? Like me in the car. One, just one green light. Too often, that's what we do. Instead of submitting to what he's doing, we fight him. We're like Paul, kicking at the goats. And we need to pray. Now. Father. Because we still have not arrived, that though we have been given a renewed nature, it is not perfectly renewed. We still have the power of indwelling sin that moves us, tempts us, and is attracted to things that we shouldn't be attracted to. And one of them is, is trying to restore control through anger. Trying to restore a sense of power in the face of powerlessness. Because the world doesn't go the way we think it should. So Father, I pray for us that you would continue to work in us by the Spirit. Exposing those ways in which we are wrong for the, are angry for the wrong reasons. That we might not just think your thoughts after you, but in a sense be angry where you are angry. Not only that, but learn how to use anger redemptively. Not to destroy relationships, but to rebuild relationships, to protect people that we love. Lest we fall into the trap of the world. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.